Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and happy Monday to all of you. Thank you for joining me today for this week's teaching. I am super excited to talk to you today about an important topic. I am Krista Bondrager. I'm a Christian theologian and public apologist, and this is the channel where I offer teaching about the Bible and theological commentary on social issues. Today's teaching is going to be more in the theological commentary on social issues category. Um, recently, as many of you know, I have been doing some content related to the film The Sound of Freedom, as well as the man behind the film, Tim Ballard, and I wrote a blog post back in July and then dropped a podcast summarizing a lot of my research so far uh, late last week. And I will likely drop another podcast with some developments that are very much happening very quickly, and uh, I'll probably be doing that later in the week. But the whole situation, it made me think about how the that is really just a microcosm or an example of a larger issue, and that is a recognition that we live in the age of fake news and deep fakes and reliable information is becoming increasingly difficult to find. You know, pretty much every conservative news outlet, including a lot of Christian news outlets, were pumping Sound of Freedom all summer as being a mostly a factual film uh, based on a true story, uh, and that Ballard is a real-life hero. And I I took a lot of heat in July and August just for saying, hey, let's slow down. Let's ask some questions. Some of these so-called facts don't really seem to add up. But I also struggle sometimes to find reliable information. And so I wanted to share some things that have been helpful to me. um, And maybe they will be helpful to you as well. I also asked my daughter, Emily, who is an aspiring journalist to help me with some of these tips too. So I want to give a, a hat tip to her. I thank her for her help in being a dialogue partner on this issue. I love her kind of cautious approach and and um, that sort of thing. So let's get into this. Now, I started noticing the problem of fake news. Probably, I, I think my first awareness of it was during the 2016 presidential campaign And I don't know if you remember this, but I remember waking up the morning after the the election and I just assumed that Hillary Clinton had won the election. I mean, all of the reporting had been, you know, that she was far and away ahead in the polls and that had been the consistent messaging for months. And so I was completely shocked when I woke up and found out that Trump had won and that he had won by a healthy margin. And for me, that election was the turning point, really opened my eyes to something that was probably there all along, 
but I just didn't see it. And I've lived through a lot of elections in my life. And it, in that moment is really where I first started realizing something's not right. This ain't right. And it became increasingly difficult to figure out what was real, what was facts, what was fiction, real news, fake news. And again, I think looking back on it, I was probably blind to a problem that was already there, but 2016 is really when I started to notice it. And news reporting for me just kind of became like looking at a funhouse mirror. It was all so emotional and distorted and seemed to be designed to be an invitation to anger and division. And many of my formerly trusted sources no longer seemed reliable. And that led me on a path of inquiry, which has evolved, if I'm very, very honest, into deep cynicism about the media. And I, I was not always this way. Um, I had what I thought I, I could kind of discern biases in various news outlets, but I thought that in general, I could sift through those biases and get to the facts using mainstream sources. I changed my mind about that after the 2016 election, and even more so as we lived through the pandemic of 2020 and 2021. Because now I, I've, I've kind of shifted into a posture that we are living in the age of complete deception and propaganda for the most part. Um, after living through the social unrest of 2020 and the pandemic, I have said to my husband many, many times, probably more times than he would care to count, I simply don't know what to believe anymore. Can anyone else relate to that? I simply don't know what to believe. These people say this, these people say this. I, I don't know what's what's real. So in this week's teaching, I want to talk about three ways to help you find truth in the age of fake news. And again, these are just my opinions. These are things that have been helpful to me. You might think of other things. This isn't designed to be exhaustively complete, but my hope is that I will give you some helpful guidance, some principles to help guide you through the crazy. Um, I hope it helps. So we're going to start off with number one here. Number one, the first way we can work on finding truth in the age of fake news is to really walk in the conviction that Christians have a responsibility to go the extra mile to make sure that what we share on social media or in public or with our family and friends is as best as we can. We won't be perfect at it, but as best as we can is based on facts. It's based on real life, on reality and not propaganda. Um, sharing things based in fact on social media or with our family and friends should matter to Christians. Simply if for no other reason, Jesus, as his disciples, we ought to be following Jesus, and Jesus calls himself the truth. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we are going to live as his disciples, we too want to emulate Jesus. And 
We want to follow his example and point people to the truth. Ultimately, that means that we are pointing people to Jesus. But it also means truth telling. Um, if we were to look at the Bible further, we would see Proverbs 6, for example, that there are six things that God hates. Now, hate is a very strong word, but I think God wants us to know something. He wants us to pay attention to something that one of the things he hates, it says there is a false witness who breathes out lies. And this passage from Proverbs chapter 6 echoes the command in Exodus 20 that we shall not bear false witness. We shall not lie uh, against our neighbor. God wants his people to be known as a people for, who are known for telling the truth. So just as Jesus is the truth, we want to emulate that with truth-telling. So we want as much as possible that when we are sharing content, when we are sharing information with family, friends, on social media, in public, that we are not engaging in a false witness and half-truths and gossip or slander. This is how we love our neighbor. This is how we quote unquote, do justice, if you will. Okay. So, and I think that this is very important for a couple of reasons, because if, if you as a Christian have a reputation in your friend group, your family group, for sharing marginally accurate content, getting people to, to take us seriously as Christ followers, when we talk about the gospel, it it can get very challenging. We live in an age of deep fakes and alternative facts and Gen Z uh, and even millennials and those that are coming after Gen Z, they're all really struggling to sift through truth and reality. And, and I'm not talking at this point just about the news, but truth and reality in general about life itself, what worldview to believe. And so this is why it's absolutely vital for us as Christians to be careful when speaking and presenting information in public, at family gatherings. And this is why I have been beating the drum about telling the truth, even when it's hard, even when we have to have hard conversations about things like the downfall of Ravi Zacharias or that Tim Ballard, as you're going to see later this week, might be one of the biggest scam artists in history. Um, this also matters when we're dealing with the elderly. My friend Chris, who's listening to the live stream today as he's working, he made the great point this morning on social media that the elderly are particularly vulnerable to bad information and fakes and frauds. And so when we are sharing information with people that we love, our, maybe our aging parents, we want to provide them with good information and good sources as well. Another reason that I think that Christians should care about accuracy when we share something on social media is because we want to treat other people's ideas the way that we would want our ideas and opinions to be treated. And that is with fairness and accuracy. My friend Ken Samples calls this the golden rule of apologetics. I like that. I like that phraseology. Matthew 7, 12, Jesus says this. He says, 
Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus' summary of the entire Old Testament law is to treat one another the way that we want to be treated. We call this the golden rule. We don't like it as Christians when people say half-truths about our faith and beliefs. We don't like it when people say slanderous things about us. So we want to lead with charity and clarity. We want to lead with accuracy. This is why I spend many, many hours researching a topic before doing a live stream, okay? This is why I'm not on here every day, <laughs> streaming every thought that comes into my mind. Trust me, I think about it sometimes. But I don't do that. I show restraint. Because if I haven't properly researched something, I don't hop on, especially when my emotions are strong, even if my emotions are strong. I don't want to just go by and be reacting to the headlines. I need to be disciplined and take the time to slow down, read multiple articles from various perspectives, look for primary sources and all that in order to make sure that what I say in my my teaching here is as fair and accurate as possible. Now, do I do it perfectly? No. I make mistakes. I have to make corrections. But as I've said before, every single one of these teachings that I do takes about 20 hours, 15 to 20 hours pretty consistently for researching it, for writing it, for Bob and I to stream it together, for him to edit it, all of that. This is a labor of love that we go into in putting these videos out, making quality content that it looks good and that has sound information. And this is why, if you saw the live stream I did on Saturday night with Monique and Sam Say, on Christian nationalism. I was very transparent. It was a tough stream for me. Talked about that at the end. But we were very careful in that stream to make sure that we were at least trying to define other people's perspectives in a faithful and accurate way. Even if I disagree with those perspectives, one of the best compliments someone can, can give me is when they write into the ministry and they hold a position different than mine, they totally disagree with me, but they say, but you summarized my view accurately. It was fair. It's so encouraging to me when I get those letters because I have no problem with the disagreement, but I want to treat their position the way I would want to be treated. And so ideally, when Christians work to preserve our credibility in the age of fake news, Hopefully, it will increase the probability that people will listen to us when we want to share the gospel with them, when we want to share the truth of Jesus. So again, we want to have a conviction and a stand that we represent the truth because ultimately we want to point people to Christ. And we as Christians, we're making very bold and audacious claims. We are claiming that Jesus is the Messiah that he was the God-man, that God came in human flesh and died for the sins of the world. These are audacious and bold claims. Luke chapter 1 says that Luke is reporting eyewitness accounts, that he carefully investigated everything from the beginning and writing it down. Second Peter chapter 1 says that the apostles did not 
follow cleverly devised tales when they told us about the coming of the Lord Jesus, but they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When we are telling people about Jesus, we are not reporting fake news. The gospel, it says in scripture, is already a stumbling block for many people. Why make it worse by filling our social media with a lot of sloppy half-truths, guilt by association posts, and then we have Jesus posts mixed in there? How does that come across to the non-Christian? Are they going to take us seriously? So again, staying, um, working to find our way through a culture of fake news. What do we do? The first way we do that is we work to find truth in the age of fake news by prizing truth ourselves as Christians. To advocate for truth, be motivated by truth, not just our feelings, not gotcha memes, not arrogance, not pride. We want to advocate for truth with the heart posture that reflects the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance, and all of those things. Number two, the second way we can work toward finding truth in the age of fake news is to be diligent in our research. Now, this is hard. When I was talking to my daughter, Emily, this morning about this stream, she said, this is so hard, especially in the beginning, if you're following news cycles. So that after a while, it gets easier. But, you know, following the news cycles, it 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 can be hard, especially in the beginning to kind of do your due diligence. But remember, because Jesus is the truth, we ought to also engage in careful research. We want to do that before we share content. Now, I'm going to admit up front, okay, overcoming the obstacles to getting to reliable research takes effort. It can be very hard. Um, And you can be diligent and still mistakes will be made. So you're going to have to be willing to apologize to people and be humble and and have a a sense of humility about yourself at times. But I want to share a few tips with you about how to do better research. So the first obstacle to good research is deliberate misinformation. In the age of fake news, there are actually people who on purpose put out misinformation. Now, this totally goes against, obviously, the traditional ideal behind the American press, which was that it would help to hold the government accountable and almost be acting like a fourth branch of the government. They would present both sides of an issue, present unbiased data. Yeah, we're a million miles away from that. Like, that's not happening, okay, in most cases. And we just need to be in reality about that, that that formerly trusted institutions have failed us. We're not in the era of Walter Cronkite. We're not in my grandparents' generation. Um, it Pretty much any new, you're going to have to get to a reality that pretty much any news you see on television, including cable television in most cases, is propaganda or propaganda adjacent. I know that's a hard say. You know, there's some people aren't going to believe me on that, but that, again, I'm just telling you this is where I've arrived. This is the cynical, cynical place I've arrived at. And I I, I think I'm in on pretty steady ground there. Um, we have devolved into some kind of weird postmodern reality where the physical world, real data, facts doesn't even matter anymore. So if you want reliable information, 
my best advice is to start baseline by ignoring anything you see on mainstream television, including CNN and Fox News. You're going to have to look for independent alternatives, which also presents presents its own set of challenges and a basic step to overcoming misinformation, though, I think is just to have a posture of general skepticism. I call it soft skepticism. Um, that the first time you read something, the first time you see something, you watch something, you don't believe it right away. You you have soft skepticism. A second obstacle to good research is headline reading. Now, again, in the age of fake news, headlines are geared to make you click on them. They're geared to stir a particular emotion in us. And so when you see a headline that says something and presents something sensational as a fact, that's deliberate. They want to get you to click on it. That's how they make money, okay? And sometimes it's called clickbait. But it is vital for you to take the time before you share it, before you hit the share button, to take the time to actually read through the article because what it actually says could be very different than the clickbaity headline that they use to get your attention. Okay, so that's just like a basic way to overcome the clickbait problem is click through and read. Read it carefully. A third obstacle that makes getting accurate news very difficult is sensational blog sites designed to look like news sites. Now, these were really big back in the 2016 election. They're still out there. And they what they'll do is They'll take news stories from other sources and summarize them and uh, summarize them in a fairly sensationalized way and put it onto their own quote unquote news blog site. And again, these um, appeal to people's emotions and the readers that that blog site is trying to communicate to. They are designed to evoke emotions in the reader and a reader in a particular crowd. So um, they're very tribal, okay? And so if you are going to, for example, a place like the Huffington Post, it is a more liberal-leaning blog site where they repost a lot of stories. Well, it's designed for liberal readers, and it's designed to stir up their emotions. And to so you wake up every day and you read the headlines on the HuffPo and you're immediately all up in your emotions. They, they design the stories and the headlines to reinforce certain narratives that are in the minds of their readers. And there's conservative blogs and news outlets that do the very same thing. So if you're using these kinds of sites as your main source of news, stop that. Like You, you, you can't do that because these sites are designed to make you upset, and every day you get up and you get in your emotions. And if you find yourself consistently doing that, that's not healthy. And, you know, you keep doing that, you might start to need therapy because you're just upset all the time. And this stuff can be damaging to your soul, really, truly, it, it can be. So I think the Christian version of this or a more conservative version of this um, on the other side of the HuffPo would be um, discernment blogs and YouTube channels that act as discernment blogs. I mean, every video and article on some of these channels is 
designed to tell you who's a heretic and who's compromising the faith. These sites are designed to get Christians who want to remain biblically faithful in an age of confusion really emotionally activated. And I tell people constantly, stay off these sites. Stop this kind of insanity. This is not helpful. It's not balanced. And it's, it, it, it is just damaging, okay? Another obstacle, fourth obstacle, when it comes to getting good information on social media is um, you have to understand that social media is driven by algorithms. So the, how those algorithms exactly work it, it is sort of a proprietary secret by the platform. But the veil has been lifted a, a little bit now that Elon Musk took over Twitter or X. And it's kind of been revealed what, what many of us suspected all along, that big tech, Google, Facebook, YouTube... They're controlling these algorithms to show you certain content, to propagate certain points of view. So it knows like, oh, this person's a conservative or this person's a progressive. Then they're going to push the funnel that way to, again, to keep you in your emotions. All right. Another thing that big tech does that we saw during the pandemic is funneling information so that we're only allowed to talk about issues from a certain point of view. Um, the views basically held by the big tech companies. And if they don't like your view, they can engage in what's called shadow banning. And so Monique and I struggle with this a lot because our position is not the mainstream progressive position. And so what they do is even though we're posting their algorithms will hide our content from our followers. So even if you think you're following a good news outlet, it might not be showing up in your feed. And that can be frustrating. So, um, you know, pretty consistently, only about 5% of my followers see my content. So I've had to start posting dog pictures on Facebook to help compensate this because Facebook likes dog pictures. So then I have to tell people, now go find my content. But just because something is popular or widely shared doesn't mean it's true. You could be interacting with an article that is widely shared. We saw this with, in, in my opinion, with the situation with Tim Ballard a few months ago that is widely shared because it represents a lot of people's opinion and is seen as approved, but it still might not be true. So how I, I've already given you some tips along the way of how to do better research, but the biggest tip I can give you is use primary sources. Now, what do I mean by that? If you are trying to get to the truth, if you are trying to figure out reality, the most important step you can do is try to figure out what the primary source is for this information. And that's going to mean trying to track some things down. You might have to take the time to figure out like, well, so-and-so had a press release, released a press release. Well, I'm going to go to that nonprofit or to that entity, read that, that whole press release in context. If there's a video that they're showing me from Twitter, I'm going to go and try to find that original source material. I'm going to take time to track down the original sources and look at the clip in its context. Look at the whole thing. 
I'm not just going to repost something from a discernment blog, okay? If the article mentions statistics, I'm going to try to track down the original research and read through that. If an article mentions a quote, I'm going to go see if I can find where that conversation originally happened and look at it in context. Now, Twitter can be very helpful in doing this. I don't recommend going on Twitter all the time. Again, it can damage your soul. There is a lot of damaging stuff on there. But you can use Twitter as a helpful tool for tracking down certain information if you do it carefully. And quite honestly, that's where I get a lot of my information to give me links to things to then go track down the primary sources. But again, you have to sift through a lot. And we're living in the age of artificial intelligence where it's getting harder and harder and you can't even believe everything that always looks like a primary source, especially when it comes to videos. Videos are getting extremely hard to know if they're real. Recently, I've been noticing videos that look like real videos, look like source material, where you see somebody doing something crazy like in a store or a school classroom, and then you find out it's actually a skit. And I've been fooled by these videos more than once. It was really my friend Kevin Briggins who's pointed out to me. It's like, oh, no, this is fake. This is a skit. Really? And it looked real to me. And so other videos that are often reposted um, are made to look like they're about the current story. But when you do a little bit of digging, you actually find out it's a video from an unrelated event. This is happening a lot in the war in the Ukraine. You see videos that are allegedly from the Ukraine. They're really from Russia from like five years ago. Uh, there was a lot of pictures and videos related to the tragic fire in Hawaii that were showing strange laser lights hitting the ground and everyone was running around saying, oh, this is directed energy weapons. But a lot of these videos, you come to find out, you do some vetting, some research, and they were videos of other things or things several years ago, long before the fire. Sometimes Twitter's community notes can be helpful. They tag something and they'll give context to a video and it'll say, Twitter thought you might like to know that this came from an incident from three years ago or something. And they'll link you to the original source. That can be a helpful resource. But if you're like me, are you tired yet? Like this is time consuming. So yes, we want to be careful what we post because we ought to be people who are marked by the truth. And it can be tiring to track down primary sources and to do this kind of digging. People in the real world, you don't have time for all of this. And so while I do want to caution you about sharing things on social media so that you don't damage your credibility, especially with non-Christians, it is hard. And when, like Emily said at the top of the segment, when you first start doing this, it can feel daunting. It does get easier if you follow the news cycles and you start figuring out kind of like who are reliable sources and who are the people that get out in front of the stories. But that does take some time and uh, work and some discernment. Okay. So recapping, we have two ways Christians can work to find truth in the age of fake news. One is to first have a conviction 
of prizing truth. Secondly, to engage in careful research before we share content with others. Okay, number three. The third way we can work toward finding truth in the age of fake news is to vet the perspectives of those reporting the news. Have you ever noticed that even the term fake news assumes that there's something objectively true, that there's something called real news? <laughs> um, the goal, our goal, is to learn how to differentiate between facts and opinions. I remember doing that as a homeschool project with my kids when they were in elementary school. And we would go through facts and opinions and we would categorize them on the board. And I would give them a whole long list of statements. And then they had to categorize fact or opinion. There's some people that need that lesson. Some things are claims. Some things are opinions. Some things are facts. And uh, I understand this could be a very difficult thing to do in the age of propaganda because quite honestly, both sides engage in, in propaganda at times. But a critical first step is to understand the point of view, we could say the worldview, of the, the media outlet that we're using, as well as who's financing them. That's sometimes also a relevant question. So I've got a couple of infographics that Bob's going to put up on the screen um, this first one will give you an idea of how news outlets are actually interconnected. And this is from uh, a liberal news source. It's from Vox Media. So this isn't like some sort of conservative outlet. This is what the liberals say about themselves. And there's a lot of these kinds of graphs out there. I, I picked one that was fairly recent. But as you can see on the graph here that there's very few governing entities as umbrellas and that everything else is under them. You know, Disney and Comcast own a lot of properties. And so under the Disney umbrella, they own ESPN, Lucasfilms, Marvel Studios, Disney Plus, but they are also interconnected with other other properties. Uh, Comcast owns a lot. They are a huge entity that owns a lot of properties. Now, you can just Google like the big six companies that own pretty much all the media outlets. And this includes streaming. This includes newspapers. This includes um, your satellite service. Everything is basically owned by six companies. Like 96% of the news outlets are owned by six companies. Okay. <laughs> that's crazy. And and I think that that that's why we get things. Bob's got a little video clip he's gonna play here. It's a little short thing. Now, this is from 2018. But if we understand that a lot of properties are all owned by six companies, again, streaming services newsprint, all of that, it shouldn't surprise us why we see situations like this video. Hopefully Bob's got that for us. 
I am Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Land Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to serve our Treasure Valley communities, the El Paso Las Cruces communities, Eastern Iowa communities, Mid Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS 4 News produces. But we are true ceremony. The drama and training the earth with the wine sign and inventories, plaguing country, plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. The war on a big subtle media that's in hell, but that they already they think they are admittedly or true. How shutting facts are earth. Unfortunately, the school members have received a the full pleasure of all of our supplies. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 Okay, and again, that's from... Uh, 2018 and just trying to illustrate here you know look it there is a narrative there is a narrative at work and so when we understand that most of our media outlets are owned by six companies we ought to expect that they're all going to be pushing out similar propaganda now um and they're going to i i i call most reporters repeaters and this is why i think that they pull the the information off the internet uh, in the old days we we pulled it off the wire when i had an internship at um nbc and burbank back when i was in college we would pull the the news off the wire and then we would rework it and rewrite it and then we would give it to the, the news anchors to go on the teleprompter and then they would read it they're repeaters very few reporters go out in the news, out in the field anymore, and actually do the hard work of interviewing people, coming up with primary sources. The age of the internet just makes it so much easier for us to to do the repeating. Now we don't need a special AP Newswire. We could just pull it off the internet. And so it, this this is... I think why one of the reasons why we see the level of propaganda that we have now, um, if we were to look back at how many news outlets were independent 30 years ago, it would be in the hundreds. Now, most you've got like 95% of the news outlets are all owned by six companies. This is why we are in the state that we are in. Let's look at another chart really quick here. And this is... Uh, to show us uh, another important issue is how biased is our news source. And so this infographic kind of summarizes where this particular group, uh, it's called allsides.com, where they think that different news outlets fall on the political spectrum from liberal 
to somewhat liberal, to kind of middle of the road center, to right-leaning and extreme right-leaning. Um, and, you know, in their opinion, this this is how this this falls. Um, I think it's kind of interesting that they see the BBC as a middle of the road, but okay. Um, but uh, this is this is important because I think that one of the things that we need to do is, and this was another one of Emily's tips, was read widely. Um, I know what you don't want to do is get all your news from one of these columns, one perspective. I thought Emily had some great advice this morning. She said, as hard as it is for me to go read a liberal um, news outlet, she says, it's good because it it trains you not to react right away. It also trains you about the arguments on the other side of the conversation, opinions that you disagree with, or where there might be intersect between the two perspectives where their facts seem to be intersecting. That might be where the truth is. But I thought Emily had an, an, an additional point that was really important. She said, this also trains you how to talk to other people that you disagree with that are on the other side of the conversation because they're going to be getting their data and evidence from this other point of view. And it also trains you how to stay calm so that you're not always up in your feelings. Okay. Uh, again, if you're up on your feelings all the time about the news, like that's not healthy. You know, I want to give you that word of caution. That's really not healthy for you. And I would be concerned if I was your friend about pulling you to the side, saying, "Hey, like, we you got to do something here," and and you know, I don't know, maybe interact with the news less, or um, you know, maybe explore with your pastor or a therapist, like why this gets you so upset. So you know, we want to train ourselves not to immediately get all up in our emotions, but to hear another point of view, weigh it out. And to to begin to interact with the data and and try to figure out where the, the truth really is. Um, now, again, I'm trying to be gracious, but I understand that we live in a reality where there is universal propaganda messaging. And I, I'm, I'm not blind to that. Um, we saw that escalate during the pandemic where the free flow of information and the competition of ideas was shut down and there were warning labels put on content. There's probably a warning label on my content right now. Who knows? Um, but if there were articles that people disagreed with or data that was being suppressed, look, I, I get it. that That's the age in which we live. And so we've got to be very diligent about working on our research. At this point, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to make a comment about, well, first of all, I want to t uh, look at um, Jeff Davis's comment. With a news cycle of 24 hours, how do we have time to vet stories because every day new, new news is flooding the news? I don't have time to, re to engage with but a few stories and topics. I agree. And I'm the same way, Jeff. I do not, this is why I don't post about every single thing. 
if if I'm seeing a story that is developing like over a week or two and it's continuing to develop, then I start maybe taking my time to do a little bit deeper dive. Like what's happening here? What's going on? But I'll tell you one one topic I have not done a deep dive on, and that's the war in Ukraine. I have no idea really what's going on there. I can't figure it out. And even the sources that I trust, I still can't really figure out what's happening there. I think that we're sending a lot of money and weapons over there for highly questionable reasons, but that's about all I've figured out. I do not understand what's happening there. I am not an expert, even myself, on every story, but there are stories at times I feel like, yeah, this is important because it's going to impact people I'm in life with or people I'm in ministry with. And so sometimes I let that set the priority, but you're absolutely right. We cannot chase everything down with these types of um, news cycles. So, all right. All right, so I want to spend a couple of minutes here talking about conspiracy theories. Because that kind of, we saw a lot of animation, a lot of energy around that topic, during, especially during the pandemic. And this is an issue that I've given a lot of thought to and is really part of the whole fake news conversation. And um, I I just want to say a few words about it because I think that we are not thinking carefully about this issue. The term conspiracy theory has really become a fairly pejorative term that is kind of evolved into a term to summarize or be a synonym for normal people don't think this way. Or if you believe in a conspiracy theory, you are kind of stupid or um, uh, uneducated, right? And it's used as a way to kind of marginalize non-majority ideas and even cast doubt on people's character and their mental health at times. And I want to challenge that narrative a little bit um, because the truth is conspiracies happen when multiple people, this is what a conspiracy is, when multiple people collude to create a particular outcome, that's a conspiracy. And we know from history that conspiracies are real. Some conspiracies are real. Watergate is a classic example of a real conspiracy where some people colluded for a particular outcome. Some people conspired to break into the Democratic election office during the Nixon administration to try to get insider information and help Nixon win the election. The assassination of Abraham Lincoln was a conspiracy. There was a group of Confederate sympathizers. John Wilkes Booth was among them. There was a a few others, and they conspired to engage in a plot to kill a few key leaders and throw the nation into chaos. We saw during the uh, transition of leadership at Twitter that the former leadership of Twitter before Elon Musk colluded with certain entities in the government to shadow ban 
conservative content. Now, conservatives have been charging this. We didn't really have any proof or ev- or data to support that. It was all just sort of anecdotal, noticing like, hey, my numbers are doing weird things. But when Musk opened up the Twitter files, we saw, oh, no, Twitter really did conspire with the government to silence certain voices, to shadow ban certain voices, and some people were removed from the platform for marginal reasons, for shady reasons, okay? And in some cases with encouragement from the government. Um, We've seen in recent months documents involving high-level officials, government officials, that knew about the probable lab leak from Wuhan lab that resulted in the pandemic. But back in 2020, they were calling it a conspiracy theory and casting a lot of doubt that only dumb people believe this. Well, now it's looking increasingly more like, yeah, it was a conspiracy and it was real that our government was likely some way, some kind of a way cooperating with the Chinese to develop something that potentially could have been used for biological warfare and that people very high up in the government kind of knew what this was from the beginning. It's very dark and disturbing to think about. But in light of this, I think that we need to be a little more circumspect than to just throw around the word conspiracy theory as a way to say pejoratively, well, that's what stupid people believe, mentally unstable people. Um, Sometimes people do collude to do evil things. Conspiracies do happen. They are a thing. And that said, I think it's also very important to think about and consider that conspiracies are often eventually uncovered. Um, it's really, really, really hard for a bunch of people to all keep the same secret. We live in an age of whistleblowers and the internet and people downloading documents. People can make a whole career sometimes out of becoming a whistleblower. Someone who is in on the conspiracy comes forward and starts reviewing insider details. That is... I think very likely most conspiracies come out eventually. Some conspiracies I'm a little more skeptical of when it requires possibly thousands of people to be in on it. You know, when you have people, it requires basically the same amount of people in order to execute this conspiracy. They could fit in Madison Square Garden. I'm a skeptic that that's probably a, a real conspiracy. But um, I think it requires a high level of proof at minimum. But I I think that, you know, I'm not of the opinion that believing in a conspiracy it means that you are mentally unstable. But I think we have to be very careful about it. Now, I'm going to let you in on, on a little secret. I like a good conspiracy theory. I actually lean toward believing in a few conspiracy theories, but I don't talk about them in public. Now, why don't I? Because if they turn out not to be true, 
my opportunity to preach the gospel to some people would be totally shot for those people. And this is why I think Christians have to be very careful about what we share in public. There's things that I believe privately. I can cry on ideas. I can speculate with a few close friends about it. The things are just weird. And, and, and I'll do this from time to time with my close friends. Have you ever noticed this? This is just weird. This doesn't add up. This, I don't know if this is a conspiracy, but boy, this is weird. And I can imagine some of these dots connecting in a certain kind of kind of way. I don't know if there's harm in that. But when we really start getting a lot of our emotions and believing something that isn't proven and we're putting it out there on social media, it can capture our emotions and it can harm our credibility. And so I think we have to be really, really careful about that. And so I want to give you a word of caution about it. Be very careful because you don't want to lose your credibility with others. All right, as we're wrapping up, I just want to share a couple of news sources with you that um, I have found helpful over the last five years or so. Now, look, remember my tip from earlier, read widely. I'm not saying only go to these sources and they're going to be 100% accurate all the time. But these were sources that I found helpful my daughter, Emily, found helpful, especially during the pandemic when the propaganda was really flying. Um, they were way out in front of the Wuhan lab situation about dangers, certain dangers from certain actions the government wanted us to take uh, during the pandemic. So, again, I'm not, this isn't a paid advertisement. It's not an endorsement. It's just something like, hey, we have found this helpful. You might find it helpful, too. And for all I know, five years from now, they could go off the rails, okay? So these are things just to put it in that context. But the first one is the Epic Times. Um, I actually bought my mother a subscription to the Epic Times because she's been struggling with a new source. She's been enjoying it for the last six months or so. Again, not an endorsement, not a paid advertisement, but it comes once a week to her house and she has found it helpful they also have a YouTube channel and um, kind of interesting. It's founded by um, an, a Romanian immigrant. And so, you know, he's kind of familiar with communism, communist propaganda. And I appreciate that he is trying to be an independent voice. To my knowledge, he's not owned by the big six. So he's trying to forge an alternative. Another one that my daughter recommended was the Post Millennial. You can find it at the postmillennial, I think, .com. Um, it's kind of geared toward younger people, but um, it's another independent um, news source that my daughter recommended. She says it's usually pretty helpful. But again, read widely. You want to think about the perspectives of what you're reading, and you know, all, don't don't only read conservatives or only read liberals. You want to read from. Um, you know, at least one article on the other side of the conversation in order to help equip you to, to know how they're arguing the case. I'm a little bit over time. I hope you found this helpful. Please hit that share button. Make sure to like the stream. Um, and I want to leave you with a scripture from 1 Thessalonians, from the words of the Apostle Paul, to test all things, hold on to that which is good, 
Some translations say to hold on to that, which is true. Um, thank you so much for watching. Good day and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.